Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers to celebrity memoirs, news, business, and self-development. Every month, members get one credit to pick any title, plus two Audible originals from a monthly selection, and access to daily news digests from the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and the Washington Post, as well as guided meditation programs. Between a full-time job in IT and a full-time job in podcasting, it gets harder and harder to sit down and read the books I'm interested in. This is where Audible comes in. I can listen on my daily commute, relaxing, or while out running errands and still get in the books I've been wanting to get into. You can download titles and listen offline anytime, anywhere. The app is free and can be installed on all smartphones and tablets. Now you can try Audible risk-free with a special 30-day free trial by visiting audibletrial.com forward slash nerdery and murdery. That's audibletrial.com forward slash nerdery and murdery. Don't let your busy life get in the way of that great book you've been wanting to read. Go get your free trial of Audible today. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. This is Jeffrey, and we've talked about many times before that I experience problems and struggles with my mental health. And really, without a healthy mind, being truly happy and at peace is hard. The good news is therapy does work. It's helped for me. But but what is is therapy exactly? It's it's whatever you want it to be. Maybe you're not feeling motivated right now and would like some tools to help. Or maybe you're feeling insecure in relationships at work or you're not dealing well with stress. Whatever you need, it's really time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles. And, and it's time to start feeling better because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. BetterHelp is a customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. So join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about. It's always a good time to invest in yourself because you are your greatest asset. And there's a special offer to Nerdery and Murdery listeners. You can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash nerderyandmurdery. That's betterhelp.com forward slash nerderyandmurdery. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. You're listening to the sweet and sensual sounds of Nerdery and Murdery. Seriously, you're an idiot. Welcome to episode 63 of Nerdery and Murdery. Big 63. I'm Zig with your Nerdery. And I'm Jeffrey with your Murdery. Welcome to another week of the ups and the downs, the highs and the lows, and the high jinks and the low jinks. Um, I know you had, a, you had a fun time finding a Phoenix machine. Yes, yes. I went ahead and included it on the, uh, in the, the picture list. Uh, the, uh, the old Pizza Hut uh, that I used to play the Phoenix game at. Uh, is now a boss's pizza. Mm-hmm. They have the original cabinet there. They brought it out of storage. It's working. I played it yesterday. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it was awesome. I got all the way up to the mothership, but I'm used to playing it with joysticks, and the original cabinet is a left and right button, so it was. It took me a few tries. Yeah. Now Phoenix was a cool game, so that's fun. That that's that's fun that you found that. That's cool. Yep. Cool. Well, I will let you take over with the nerdery side of the house. Well, awesome. Today, we're going to talk about Mego Toys. Uh, the Mego Corporation is an American toy company uh, that in, in its original iteration was first founded in 1954. Originally known as the purveyor of dime store toys, in 1971, the company shifted direction and became famous for producing licensed dolls, including the long-running World's Greatest Superheroes line. Celebrity Dolls and Micronauts toy line. For a time in the 70s, their line of 8-inch scale action figures with interchangeable bodies became the industry standard. 
Uh, however, in 1982, Migo filed for bankruptcy, and by 1983, the Migo Corporation ceased to exist. Today, Migo dolls and playsets can be highly prized collectibles, with some fetching hundreds or even, in some cases, thousands of dollars, dollars depending on the rarity in the collectible market. Now, these were the these were the bigger the bigger yes. toys, right? Yes, the eight inch. Now, they did do some three and a quarter inch uh, toys toward the end. Uh, in the in the eighties, um, and Migo has come back recently. Um, so they're also producing the the bigger toys and the the smaller three quarter inch. One of the reasons why I wanted to do Migo is you and I were into Star Wars and GI Joe and stuff like that, right? Right, right. Randy was into Planet of the Apes. Yeah, and Migo did Planet of the Apes. Matter of fact, for his birthday last I think last year i ordered him a couple of planet of the apes i haven't ordered him for any for his birthday this year because they haven't released any new ones so so they're supposed to be releasing some here in the next month or so and i'm probably going to order a another another migo doll for him to have <laughs> he's got a displayed in his living room on the shelf very prominently i got him a dr zayas and a uh in a cornelius that's cool so yeah, the Mega was Mega was basically hot. They they got a they got a deal with Marvel and DC to produce uh uh superhero figures, superheroes and villains, which was unheard of or what would be unheard of now. But yeah, they were producing both. You could get a Spider Man and a Batman. Yeah, I'm it looking. At, I'm looking at their website because they because as you said, they're back in business. Yes. And uh, uh, relaunched in 2018 and, and selling new action figures. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. They've got the eight inch. I think they've got the two. And they got 14 inch ones now. Yeah, they got the big ones. Uh, I know. Yeah, they've, they've, they're doing the DC, and they've got a license to do Star Trek. Now, yep. back in the day, they were they were the ones who did the Star Trek action figures and playsets. Um, but as you said, in, in July, 2018, the newly formed Amigo corporation announced they would be producing a limited run of their classic style clothed dolls in the traditional one ninth scale, as well as some one fifth figures sold exclusively through target. So that would be the 14 inch figures. Uh, these dolls, which include recreation of dolls released in the seventies began seeing release later that year. Um, Migo was founded in 1954 by uh, David Abrams and Madeline Abrams. The company thrived in the 50s and early 60s as, as an importer of dime store toys until the rising cost of newspaper advertisement forced Migo to change its business model. In 71, the Abr Abrams' son, Martin, or Marty as he is he's known, a recent business school graduate, was named company president. Now, the new Migo toys is run by Marty Abrams. He got it back. Uh, now, under Marty's direction, the company shifted its production to dolls with interchangeable bodies. Generic bodies could be mass produced and different dolls created uh, interposing different heads and costumes on them. And this was the industry standard for a long time. Uh, it even affected how Hasbro was doing G.I. Joe when they went to the flocked hair dolls. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they, you know, it was just everybody. Yeah, they didn't make a separate body. They had like four or five bodies that they used and they just stuck different heads on them, you know, in different color palettes. But it seemed to work for them for a long time. Uh, in 72, Mego secured the license to create toys for both national periodic publications, DC Comics and Marvel Comics. The popularity of this line of eight inch dolls dubbed the world's greatest superheroes created the standard action figure scale for the 1970s, which was a little smaller than the G.I. Joe's. Plus, they had. Uh, they had outfits you could put them on. Mm -hmm. And Marty's thought was, hey, we could do this like like, like Mattel does the Barbie dolls. We could sell different outfits and stuff <clears throat> and different accessories that the kids could play with. And he was right. It worked. Migo began to purchase the license rights of motion picture, television programs, and comic books after this, eventually producing doll lines for Planet of the Apes, Star Trek, and Wizard of the Oz. Wizard of the Wizard of Oz. Why is that so hard for me to say? Wizard of the Oz. What's wrong with me? <laughs> Migo also obtained license for Edgar Rice Burroughs and his creations such as Tarzan. Beginning in 74, 
Mego released the Planet of the Apes action figures. Now, I will say this. There were a couple of Planet of the Apes action figure play sets that were some of the coolest things I have ever seen. Um, there's one in Ape City. They had one in the uh, in the burnt out city from Planet of the Apes, the where, where the the last of the humans were, the the last of the speaking humans were. It was incredible. Um, vinyl, which was odd. You know, you just kind of opened it. it unfolded and it was really really cool and really well designed did Migo do the star trek uh transporter yes uh, playset yes as a matter of fact i've included a youtube clip of that scene with sheldon playing with <laughs> so during this period Migo was also known for the lavish parties uh, that the company threw at the annual new york american international toy fair because Migo was based in new york city which is also kind of part of their problem being based in New York City. I'll talk about that a little bit more. Um, in 75, uh, Mego launched its Wizard of Oz doll uh, uh, with a, a gala whose special guests were every single member of the film's main cast that was still alive. Uh, Mego's party at the Waldorf Astoria with Sonny and Cher introducing their dolls drew a thousand people. Both dolls were formally unveiled on the Mike Douglas show. The Cher doll was the number one selling doll in 1976, helping make Mego the sixth ranked American toy manufacturer based on retail sales. So, yeah, remember um, you, you would see like the Fonzie dolls and the, mm-hmm. the Sunny and Cher dolls. That was all yep. Mego. Yeah, they'd buy these licenses for next to nothing. And, you know, they'd give, they'd sell the dolls for four or five bucks, and Sunny and Cher or Henry Winkler and Gary Marshall would get like 50 cents off of it. So everybody was happy. So they did a bunch of these. In 1976, Marty Abrams hashed out a deal with the Japanese toy manufacturer Takara to bring their popular Lucite three-inch fully articulated Microman figures to the United States under the name Micronauts. The Micronauts playset was incredible because everything was interchangeable. You could even take the 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 characters apart and put them together differently and they were the three and a quarter inch figures like the star wars figures while um, marty was in japan fox's lawyer mark uh petters dropped by the office to show stills of the upcoming motion picture star wars uh no one in the office could sign the deal so petters visited kenner in the same building and Kenner President Bernie Loomis was in office and signed the deal. So Marty Abrams still says, I knew nothing about the 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 guy from Fox or 20th Century Fox showing up to set up the Star Wars deal. Otherwise, I'd have signed it because Kenner got that sweetheart deal for Star Wars and it ran them for years. Right. They went to Mego for actually they went to Hasbro and Hasbro just said no. Um, but they went to Mego first and they're like, uh, no. And they went down the hall. Kenner, even though they were a Cincinnati company, had a small office in that same building in New York and Bernie Loomis was there. He's like, uh, yeah, I'll sign that deal. Wow. Yeah. So <laughs> kind of lost them out. Uh, this decision seemed of little consequence to me to Mego at first because the Micronauts figures initially sold really well and they did. They were a lot of fun. They earned the company more than $30 million at their peak. So $30 million a year from the Micronauts. I know they got some of my money because I had the Battle Cruiser, which I have listed a, a picture of. That Battle Cruiser, when you put it all together, you could actually had a little tethered cord and a battery power. So you can make it run it, you know, run down the kitchen floor, but you could also take it apart and make a bunch of different ships. You could even right. make it into like a little gun. Oh, man, that thing was awesome. And it came with two figures. It was amazing. The Star Wars film was extremely popular, and competitor Kenner uh, products sold substantial numbers of Star Wars action figures, which we all know. Right. But following Star Wars' huge cultural impact and Kenner's great success with its action figure line, Mego negotiated licensing for the manufacturing rights of a host of science fiction motion picture and television shows, including Moonraker. Buck Rogers in the 25th century, the black hole in Star Trek, the motion picture. Yeah. And I had 
both Buck Rogers and Black Hole action figures, and I had they were great. Uh, yeah, I had the sh- was- I had the fighter from Buck Rogers. And oh yeah, it was some good stuff. Oh yeah, um, I would say that some of their stuff was was a little more intricate than the Star Wars figures. Now, I had more Star Wars figures than I had of the other stuff. Sure, but you know some of the. Some of those Buck Rogers figures and the Black Hole figures were just incredible. They had a oh, lot yeah. of play value. Yeah. What was the what was the bad guy in uh, in Black Hole? Maximilian. That Maximilian robot mm-hmm. toy. That thing. That thing got thrown in the Sarlacc pit more than Boba Fett. <laughs> my house. Although the lines of Mego dolls were of much higher quality than Kenner's twelve inch Star Wars figures, which Kenner did do, uh, none were as successful. The widespread success of uh, Kenner Star Wars three and three quarter uh, inch toy line soon made the newer, smaller sizes the industry standard, shifting sales away from the eight inch standard popularized by Mego. So in the late seventies, Mego was earning about a hundred million in sales, and around that time, Mego began shifting their fo- focus towards electronic toys like the two XL uh, toy robot and Fabulous Fred handheld game player. But sales were not commiserate with the company's investments. Mego went deeply into debt. Other problems included a rat infestation in Migos warehouse wow. because they were based in New York. And, you know, there in the late seventies, New York stopped picking up trash for a year. Same thing happened in London, which is strangely enough, also where punk comes from <laughs> in New York and London, because they didn't pick up the trash for a year. That's where punk music kind of get got its start. So I think those two things are interconnected, but maybe not. Uh, a lawsuit from Kenner over illegal appropriation of trade secrets related to the manufacturer of their stretch figures in the fiscal year of 1980 and 1981. So in February 1982, the remaining staff was let go and the Mego offices were closed. And on June 14, 1982, Mego filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy and the company officially went under in 1983. Now, in 1986, Marty Abrams... Uh, co-founded Abrams uh, Gentile Entertainment, which uh, was a play on, on – well, anyway, in order to retain and manage Migos' license contracts, rights, and deals. In October of 1995, AGE attempted to reclaim the Migo trademark. In March of 2002, they abandoned the effort, and in early 2009, Marty Abrams announced that AGE had reclaimed the rights to the name Migo. Migo Corporation is headquartered in Great Neck, New York, with manufacturing facilities in China and Mexico. In July of 2018, Migo Corporation uh, premiered an exclusive line with Target for their classic 8-inch clothed action figures, as well as several 14-inch DC superhero figures at the San Diego Comic-Con, with Joe Namath on hand to autograph his own 14-inch action figure. Yeah, I forgot that. They also did sports guys, too. Right. The Evil Knievel was Migo, and so was the Joe Namath. I wonder if the six million dollar man was Migo as well. Uh, I think that was actually Hasbro. Okay. Yeah. The Target exclusive featured three waves of figures hitting Target stores in August, October, and November. These figures were limited to ten thousand dollars or ten thousand units each. But starting in 2019, Migo has continued to work with Target and other major retailers like Walmart to bring the classic Star Trek monsters, celebrities, and superheroes back to the store shelves and online. Migo created action figures for their iconic Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan movie, giving fans of that 1982 classic. Because uh, Migo had a deal to do them, but they went into bankruptcy. So we never got the Wrath of Khan figures that Migo was doing because they were doing the three and three quarter inch Star Trek The Motion Picture figures. And they were online to do the, the Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan figures. But they went under, so they couldn't do them. So we didn't get any figures for Star Trek The Wrath of Khan. And uh, Migo has also – so they were able to bring those back in, I think, 2019. The Migo figures uh, they expected to see back then. Migo also expanded distribution internationally, working with distributors in other countries to bring the magic of Migo to the rest of the world as well. In 2020, Migo launched new ways of action figures and products to a waiting world. Marty Abrams and greeting all the new fans at Comic-Cons and conventions nationwide. Now, um, some of their 
some of their ideas, uh, like thinking of ways to reduce the cost of products. In 1975, Mego released a smaller plastic line of action toys called Comic Action Heroes uh, that had the comics molded onto the figures, which which was later adopted by Star Wars and the Super Powers line. So the actual three three and three quarter inch figures were invented by Mego in 75. Now these pocket comic action heroes, I had the whole set. Uh, and, and a kid down the street stole them all. Uh, so I, I had quite a few of the superpowers ones for sure. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, when the superpowers came out, I think that was actually Kenner, but they were great. Yeah. The Joker and the Penguin. I thought the superpower one started with Mego. Yeah. I, you know what? You may be right. I know that we had, I know that we had, um, the DC and the Marvel because I had God, I had Batman and Spider-Man and there was a Batman car mm-hmm. a right. Batmobile, which looked like the old 1960s Batmobile um, now Mego did acquire the molds of World War II soldiers vehicles and landscapes terrain from Lewis Marks and company and they went ahead and reissued the battleground uh, and Guns of Navarone playsets. The Mego also reissued uh, prehistoric dinosaurs, Fort Apache, and Galaxy Command playsets. So, Marks, what Marks would do is they were also a dime store company. They would produce a bunch of plastic army men and release them with this vinyl mat and these little plastic tanks and things and these little plastic clamshell playsets that you would all put together and have little battles on. The Guns of Navarone playset is the impetus for Castle Grayskull. There would be no Castle Grayskull without the Guns of Navarone playset. Really? Look at it, you can tell. Yeah, because the idea was like, man, we need to give up, we need to give them some place to go fight. He's like, well, why don't we do something like the Guns of Navarone playset? Oh yeah, we could do that, just where it opens, it opens in half. So yeah, I've got a picture of the Guns of Navarone playset. If you take a look at that, the way they did the 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 rock molding and the way they did kind of the floors are attached to it, that's where they got the idea for the Castle Grayskull playset. So Marks was a different company, but Mego did buy them out. Among the most enduring Marks creations were a long series of box playsets throughout the fifties and the sixties, based on television shows and historical events. These included Roy Rogers' Rodeo Ranch, The Western Town, Walt Disney's Davy Crockett at the Alamo, Gunsmoke, Wagon Train, The Rifleman Ranch, The Lone Ranger, Battle of the Blue and Gray, The Revolutionary War, uh, Tales of the Wells Fargo, The Untouchables, Robin Hood, The Battle of Little Bighorn, Arctic Explorer, Ben-Hur, Fort Apache, Zorro, Battlegrounds, Training Academy, Prehistoric Times, and they also did a few uh, um, fantasy ones where you had like dragons and knights and things like that. Um, the original sets are highly prized uh, by both um, both our generation and the generation before us. Um, the collector they had collectors' books titled "Boys' Toys" and the big the big toy box at Sears which had all the original advertisements. Um, so as the space race heated up, Mark's playsets reflected the obsession with all things extraterrestrial, such as Rex Mars, Moonbase, Cape Canaveral, IGY International, Geophysical Year, are, are all of these little space themes that they did. So you can actually get these, or you could get these playsets for a long time, but when Mark's went out of business, in the late sixties and early seventies, you couldn't get these. So that's why Mego went in and bought them and produced them under their name. But basically they were the exact same mold. All of those Mark stuff originally was produced by Mego. And I had one of them. I had the, I think the battle of the bulge playset. Mm-hmm. It was great, man. That got, that got a lot of play. And again, it got used with the star Wars figures and everything else because it was this giant, 
God, I don't want to say it was like three by four vinyl play mat. It may have been smaller, <laughs> but you know, it seemed bigger when I was eight. Sure. But yeah, I'd lay that out and there'd be all kinds of crazy battles, not just with the figures that came with it, but Oh, I, I think got hours of play. I did the same thing with Star Wars sets. I mean, because I had, yeah. like I said, I had the Buck Rogers. I had, uh, I had different action figures from different genres and whatnot, and they would all be included in the battles that I would do. And yeah, I'm very, very, very familiar with doing that. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Yeah. So I, I kind of wanted to include how they 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 brought back the uh, the Marks play sets because again, they were a lot of fun as well. And I'm hoping that Mego ends up producing some things like that. Right now, they're just concentrating on action figures, and they're doing okay. Um, you know, they're not as big as Hasbro is now, who bought everybody else up. But they're not doing too bad. They're they're they're, they're making a living. They're 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 able to do some R and D and reproduce some of these figures that people love. And the quality of the plastic and the vinyl is a lot better now. I don't know if anybody's taking them out of the package and playing with them, though. I know Randy's are still in the bubble pack sitting up on a shelf. Sure. So. Sure, because we're, we're, we're uh, as we've gotten older, we're more into collect culture because we understand that these things increase in value. Yes. Yes. Plus, they look nice. You don't want them. You don't want them in pieces all over the place. You want them right. to stand up and. Although a lot can be said with busting that thing out of the pack and playing with it or getting it where you can display it and see all around it. That's the only thing I don't like about keeping them in the, in the blister pack. Yeah. You can get most of a view of it, but you can't really see it like you can sitting on a shelf, you know, pick it up, look at, see how it articulates. But that is basically it for Mego toys. Other than they're back people. Show them a little love. Pick up something. Pick up something from your childhood that you can see or pick up something from your dad's childhood that you can see. Because I guarantee you, you know, a lot of the, our younger listeners, your dad's played with this stuff. Your mom's played with some of this stuff. It was a good time. Yeah, it was. It was good stuff. I, I Like I said, I enjoyed all my Mego action figures that I had when I was a kid, they were, they were a lot of fun. I, I especially, I was very fond of the, the Buck Rogers and the black hole ones that I had. I, it was just, it was great stuff. Great yeah, stuff. Yeah, it, great stuff to add into my star Wars figures. Yes. Yes. So they could fight because Boba Fett needed to fight Maximilian. Right. That's just how that went down. Yeah. Good stuff. Appreciate that. Appreciate that trip down memory lane. I'd forgotten some of the stuff with Mego, so I appreciate you sure. on that. Sure, absolutely. And I, again, I've I've included pictures of the Guns of Navarone playset. Um, yeah, it looks like Castle Grey Skull. Uh, plus the Micronauts Battle Cruiser. I had to had to show a copy of that, and uh, and some other things here, some various other pocket superheroes and things like that. So awesome. Cool deal. Well, and with that, I think we shall step over to the murdery side of the house. Murder. Uh, for my information today, I got my information from Medium, Murderpedia, CBS News, the Famous People, and the FBI's website. And this is the story of the Longo family murders. The Longo family murders. So on December 19, 2001, in Waldport, Oregon, there was an angler fisher, uh, an angler who was fishing off the uh, off a marina on the Alsea River, and he spotted something disturbing floating in the river. Uh, he called police, and once they arrived, they found it was the body of a young boy who was only about three or four years old, wearing wearing nothing but his underwear. He appeared to be well-fed, healthy, and clean with no obvious injuries other than clear cause of death or any clues to his identity. Police at first thought he had simply wandered off and accidentally drowned, and his parents would surely report him missing soon, but no one came forward. So police did the basic shoe leather work of knocking on doors and posting flyers in the small community just south of Newport. And they also released his digitally enhanced photo to the media, hoping someone would recognize the boy. And it worked. A woman named Denise Thompson told police she recognized the boy as Zachary Longo. 
she knew Zachary through his father, Christian Longo, whom she had worked with at a local Starbucks. She said the Longos, Christian and his wife, Mary Jane, had only moved to Yaquinta, uh, Yaquinta Bay, Oregon, about six months ago. She told police she befriended the Longos and babysat their children, four-year-old Zachary, three-year-old Sadie, and two-year-old Madison. The last time that Thompson seen Christian, he told her that Mary Jane was taking the kids and leaving him. The next shift they were scheduled to work together, he hadn't shown up, and she feared Christian, whom she knew as a devoted family man, might have taken the breakup a little too hard. So police went to the Longo's address to conduct a welfare check, and their home, which was a one-bedroom condo right on the water, seemed a little far too expensive for someone who was only making $7.40 an hour part-time. In fact, the landlord said he only agreed to rent the Longos because Christian told him he worked for the telephone company, and now the landlord told him they were already behind on their rent. Police did go inside the condo, and it appeared undisturbed. It didn't even look like the Longos had left. Their clothes and few possessions were all still there, and they left no clues as to where they might be. So the Oregon State Police reached out to the FBI to conduct a nationwide search for the remaining Longo family. And they also sent divers into the water to search for clues where Zachary had been found. There, unfortunately, beneath the cold waters of the Alsea River uh, near the Lint Slow Bridge, they found Sadie's body. She had been weighted down with a pillowcase full of rocks tied to her ankle. And nearby, they found another similar pillowcase full of rocks, presumably, that had been used to weigh down Zachary's body as well. But there was still no sign of Christian, Mary Jane, or Madison. But eight days later, Mary Jane and Madison would be found. Tips started coming into the hotline, and one man told police he had seen someone parked on that very bridge the night of the murders. He stopped to help, but the man told him the car just needed to cool down. The man didn't have any details to give other than the basic description of the man behind the wheel and the, and the red minivan that he was driving. The description matched Christian Longo. Another tip came from a housekeeper who worked at a hotel where the Longos had stayed when they first arrived in Oregon. She said she had found several important papers, including birth certificates and other records, along with Mary Jane's driver's license and the family photo albums in the trash. As investigators dug into Christian Longo's past, though, they discovered a long trail of greed, lies, lies and fraud. Uh, he had been born in. Uh, is this is this another confidence guy? Uh, yes. Yes, okay. it is. I'm sorry. Didn't mean that's, to stop you, but that's okay. Uh, Christian I see a pattern now a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Christian had been born in 1974 in, and I, I'm going to have a hard time pronouncing this. Ypsilanti, Michigan. Sounds not, good. Not sure. Uh, he was born to a devout and strict uh, Jehovah's Witness family. He was actively involved in the church and received training at a young age to participate in the door-to-door ministry. And it was at his local Kingdom Hall where he met Mary Jane Baker. Although he was several years older, the two fell in love. Uh, and in the spring of 1993, when he was 19, or I'm sorry, she was several years older. And in the spring of 1993, when he was 19 and she was 25, the two got married. Mary Jane's sister, uh, Penny, said that Christian was a real-life Prince Charming. She further said, quote, he made other wives jealous because Chris did all those things that a husband is supposed to do. However, in order to make payment on Mary Jane's large 3.5-carat diamond ring, Christian had stolen a little over $100 from the camera store where he worked. Later, feeling guilty, he wrote a check <clears throat> to reimburse the store for the money, and he also left behind a letter of resignation. However, his roommates, who are also Jehovah's Witnesses, turned him into congregation elders, and Christian was sanctioned for the theft, which meant he and Mary Jane could not marry in the Kingdom Hall. This would set the precedent for what would be an ongoing pattern of overspending and fraud. Mary Jane wanted children, and she was thrilled to become a full-time mom when Zachary, Sadie, and Madison came along. At 22, Longo took a job with the company that distributes the New York Times in Ypsilanti, uh, and driven to succeed, he worked his way up to manager. Christian eventually developed a fondness for reading the Times, especially articles by feature writer Michael Finkel. Remember Michael Finkel, because he's going to come back into play. Okay. 
Once uh, he and Mary Jane set up house, they started living the good life. New clothes, expensive electronics, resort vacations, and new cars. But he wasn't making nearly enough money to support that kind of lifestyle. The Longos were soon drowning in credit card debt. Things only got harder when Mary Jane stopped working to take care of their first child, Zachary, and two more children would come within the next two years. So Christian and his brother founded a construction cleanup business together. And while the business was moderately successful, Christian continued to spend lavishly on credit. He routinely lied to anyone who would listen about how profitable his business was, and he he convinced his father to invest tens of thousands of dollars in it. Unsurprisingly, when one of their customers was late on a payment, the whole house of cards began to tumble down. So Christian, in order to cover his tracks and continue living the good life, began writing hot checks to himself from the business and forging checks from clients. But he was in too much debt to sustain it all. One of their cars was repossessed for non-payment, leaving them with only one car for their growing family. When that car broke down, Christian obtained a fake ID and went to an uh, an out-of-state car lot to, quote, test drive a van. He then drove that van home and gave it to Mary as birthday present. When she started when she started asking why they hadn't received any bills for the van payment, Christian printed out fake bills and sent them to his address. This, however, was not the worst of his deceptions to Mary Jane. One day she found an email on his laptop that confirmed he was cheating on her. He claimed he hadn't actually had a physical relationship with the woman, but that he was straying because Mary Jane wasn't any fun since they had children that he didn't love her anymore. Again, he was sanctioned by the congregation, but Mary Jane, like a good Jehovah's Witness, stayed with him anyway. Soon enough, Christian was busted for forging $30,000 worth of checks from companies that owed him money. And in September 2000, he was sentenced to three years probation in order to pay restitution. However, because he exaggerated his income out of his persistent concern for his appearances, he was ordered to pay restitution payments far greater than he could handle. This would lead Christian to being disfellowshipped and shunned by the Jehovah's Witnesses. Since Mary Jane was his wife, she too was shunned from the church. However, her family continued to remain in contact with her in violation of the congregation's rules. And Christian claimed that the incident led to a watershed moment with Mary Jane in which he had promised her he would be truthful and that they would straighten out their finances. But that didn't stop Christian from continuing his fraudulent ways. While on probation, he managed to get a credit card in his father's name without his knowledge and ran up over $100,000 in debt, including another ill-gotten present to Mary Jane, which was laser eye surgery. And then he also purchased scuba lessons for himself. Seven weeks after his conviction, he packed up the family and moved them to Toledo, Ohio, to an old warehouse without a kitchen or adequate plumbing. Christian said that they needed to make a fresh start. He told Mary Jane he would renovate the space to make an apartment. And after the move, Mary Jane drifted out of touch with her family. Her sister, Sally Clark, managed to find them by driving to Toledo, canvassing the area, and she spotted their dog outside of the warehouse. She spoke to Mary Jane to make sure everything was all right, but Mary Jane refused to leave her husband and return to Michigan. It was here that Christian would continue his criminal ways. He was cashing forged checks and fencing stolen tools from the warehouse to pay rent. This scam was busted soon enough, but by the time the police showed up at their home, the family was gone. They had apparently left in a hurry without even packing. Most of their belongings were left behind, including Mary Jane's wedding dress and photo albums. Oh, wow. Soon, Mary Jane's cell phone was disconnected for non-payment, and unable to contact her and fearing for her safety, Mary Jane's family made a missing persons report on her and the children. What they didn't know is that the family was on the run from the law, driving around the country in a stolen minivan and a stolen SUV and staying at cheap hotels and campsites. Mary Jane still, though, knew nothing about what was going on, believing in Christian's lies as she wanted to believe her husband. I don't know. You think at this point, if they're on the lam, she would figure it out. And I thought the exact same thing, but she, she was very devout in her religion and she wanted to believe her husband was a good man. She wanted to believe the things he was telling her. So 
at one point though, she did send a postcard, uh, from the family from South Dakota. And based on this postcard, the Ohio police closed the missing persons case because she was no longer missing. They knew where she was. The Longos finally ended up in Oregon, staying at one place after another until they could no longer make rent and had to move again. All the while, Christian continued his small-time scams. He was fencing stolen items, stealing gas, and passing hot checks. That's when he got the job at Starbucks, the first real job he'd had in a long time, which is where he met Thompson. Still trying to create the illusion of a successful man, he claimed he actually had a fortune from some internet something and was just working at Starbucks because he liked the coffee. But the income wasn't enough to support a family of five. The rent wasn't paid. There weren't enough groceries to feed the kids. On the evening of December 16, 2001, Christian stood on his balcony looking over the water, knowing they were going to be evicted yet again, but reluctant to tell his wife. And he would later say this night was, quote, the beginning of the end. On December 27th, divers were sent into the water near the Longo's condo. There they found two suitcases, one of which had human hair floating out of it. Inside was the nude body of Mary Jane Longo, bruises in the shape of hands around her neck. And inside the second was the body of Madison, along with some clothes and a dumbbell to weigh her down. Autopsies later determined the four victims had likely died of asphyxia, and there was evidence of blunt force trauma on the face of Mary Jane. Initially, Christian was sought for questioning, but the next day he was wanted for the murders of his wife and the three children and became the 469th person on the FBI's top 10 most wanted list, putting him right alongside Osama bin Laden. They soon caught a lead, though. He had applied for a job at a Starbucks in San Francisco. Agents staked out the Starbucks, but Christian never returned. Then they discovered he'd used a stolen credit card to buy an airline uh, ticket to Texas and from there to Cancun, Mexico. So now the FBI had to work with the Mexican authorities to find and apprehend Christian. One of their first steps was to plaster the areas in and around Cancun with flyers containing Christian's face and a hotline to call. And surprisingly, within 48 hours, they got two hits. One was from a Canadian tourist who said she saw him in Cancun. And the other was from a Mexican tour guide who remembered him talking to Christian, who said his name was Mike on a a snorkeling tour. The guide had taken Mike back to his camp and so was able to tell police exactly where he was staying. Often when two countries have to work together to apprehend a criminal, things don't always move quickly. And it took time to iron out all the bureaucratic details uh, and officers were, but officers were finally able to put Christian under surveillance there on the sunny beaches of Mexico. The man who had murdered his wife and three children just days ago was scuba diving, smoking pot, bar hopping and romancing beautiful women. And he was telling everyone that he was Mike Finkel, a reporter from the New York times. Ah, <clears throat> interestingly, the real Mike. Tell me that Mike, the real Mike Finkel, did a story about this. Well, the real Mike Finkel had been fired already from the New York Times from fabricating a story of his own about child slavery in West Africa. Uh, Mike later said that Christian was so good at it that he could speak my, speak on my stories, his stories eloquently and convincingly. And Christian, as Mike Finkel told people, he was working there on assignment on Mayan mysticism. So he could, uh, so he was going to the runes throughout the area. On January 14th, 2002, after two and a half weeks in Mexico, Christian was finally busted. When FBI and Mexican federal agents arrived at his cabana, he was smoking pot, nude, and in the bed with a German photographer he'd met at a youth hostel. Christian had conned this photographer into going with him as he worked on his supposed assignment. On March 10th, 2003, his trial began. At first, he pled not guilty on all counts, but later pled guilty to killing Mary Jane and Madison, but not Zachary and Sadie. At trial, he gave multiple conflicting explanations before settling on the classic blame his wife, blame the wife defense. He claimed he came home from work to find Zachary and Sadie gone and Mary Jane acting erratic. He further said that the ongoing financial distress of his family had taken a toll on Mary Jane. He said Madison was on the bed, apparently lifeless, and Mary Jane admitted to killing the other kids and putting them in the water. He said he then strangled Mary Jane to fit a rage, and when he saw Madison gasping for air, he, quote, finished her off. 
The jury didn't buy it after only four hours. They returned guilty verdicts on all four counts, and he was sentenced to death. However, since Oregon currently has a moratorium on the death penalty, Christian remains in the Oregon State Penitentiary. And here's the answer to your question. After hearing about the trial, the real Mike Finkel became obsessed with the case and began corresponding and visiting Christian. He wrote about it in his memoir, True Story, Murder Memoir, Mia Culpa, which was turned into the movie True Story in 2015. As he had done with everyone else, Christian at first lied to Finkel and claimed to be innocent. But years later, Christian finally admitted the truth about what happened. He said he had decided to kill his family while he was at work that day. The pressure of trying to provide for them was just too much, and he felt he needed to send them to a better place. He said that after he got off work, while he and Mary Jane were making love, he realized this would be the perfect opportunity. So he put his hands around her throat and strangled her. He then strangled Madison in the same way, but the, fe- but the feeling of, the, of a two-year-old's throat in his hands was too upsetting to do again. So he packed their bodies into suitcases and threw them into water while he figured out what to do about the other two children. He told Finkel that he took Zachary and Madison out to the minivan while they were asleep, buckling, buckling them into their car seats. He brought along pillowcases and stopped along the drive to fill, uh, fill them with some large rocks. And once he got to the middle of the Lint Slow Bridge, he pulled over and quietly opened the doors to not wake them. One by one, he unbuckled each from their car seat, tied the pillowcase around their ankle, lifted them gingerly out, and dropped them into the water. Afterwards, he went to a company Christmas party where he gave a co-worker a bottle of Mary Jane's perfume as a gift, rented a movie, worked a shift at Starbucks, and played some volleyball. He only left town once Zachary's body was found. He had killed his family, he said, so they wouldn't witness his failure to provide for him so that Mary Jane wouldn't discover he had been deceiving her for years. And in reality, she married a loser and a liar and a thief. This puts him in the category of a civil, reputable family annihilator, much like John List, another family annihilator we'll cover sometime. Unlike the livid, coercive family annihilator who kills their family to maintain control or exact revenge, the civil, reputable type is obsessed with presenting the world uh, with an image of a happy family with a successful breadwinner. They're usually nonviolent until they come to their breaking point, usually when they're about to be discovered for the frauds they are. Even after his conviction, Christian has continued pretending to be a successful stock trader so as to impress other inmates. And when last heard from, Christian Longos, who says he's irredeemable, was working to overturn laws forbidding death row inmates from donating organs. He founded GAVE, which stands for Gifts of Anatomical Value from from Everyone. However, that blog has not been updated since 2015. And that is the story of the family annihilator Christian Longo. Yeah, I may have to watch that movie that you talked about today. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go check that one out. Yeah, it's just sad. This is another another family annihilator like Chris Watts. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it, it's sad that he puts his small children who just loved him, mm-hmm. it puts them to death. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's hard to imagine being in that mindset. It's hard to imagine... <sighs> I, yeah, I, yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> it's hard to imagine getting that far down in your life that, that you would get to the mindset that the, the, that the sanest thing to do at that point is to simply eliminate your family. Yeah. Just get rid of your entire family. Yeah. Kids. Yeah. Uh, the, these family annihilators really really twist up my noodle um you know yes i think they're important stories to cover but at the same time they just really twist me up because i just i just can't get in that mindset i just can't i I just can't see it how they get to that point you know yeah yeah you know if it was a, a crime of passion i could understand I, I, I wouldn't well, do it. I don't agree with it, but at least I can understand it. It's like they're going to discover that I'm a fraud. Well, they've probably already figured it out, you know? Yeah. It's, it's that 
how self-deluded is this guy? I mean, he's trying to impress other inmates that he's a stock trader yeah. in prison. Well, he's continuing on his ways of continuing his fraudulent, uh, his fraudulent yeah. behavior and fraudulent attitude. And so he's still trying to impress people, even though yeah. he's in jail as, as a multiple murderer, he's, he's still trying to impress people. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Just, just absurd, absurd, absurd. It's insane. Well, thank you for taking that trip with me. I well, appreciate thank it. Uh, th- uh, thank you for the trip. That was uh, that was fascinating. Um, I never. I, this happened in two thousand and one. I don't remember this at all. So yeah, yeah, I had heard of it before. It was one that I had on my list that I knew I was going to cover. Um, that is is a just kind of a fascinating story. Yeah. So. All right. Well, that'll take us to the end of the recording week. As always, you can find more information on nerderymurdery.com. You can find the links to this episode as well as pictures. uh, If you want to get further information on the subjects that we talked about, Mm -hmm. you can also find the link to our merchandise. So if you wish to uh, show off your fandom, please do visit there and you can see the various items that we have for display. Shirts, books, all kinds of cool stuff. As always, you can also find our contact information on our webpage. So if you want to let us know things you want to hear, things you don't want to hear, uh, things you would like us to improve on, or things you just like to tell us about that you would like us to cover, please do contact us because we do listen to, uh, to every single thing that is sent our way. We sure do. And we always want to get better. And we want to tell you about things that you guys want to hear about too. Sure. Which does remind me, we have, uh, uh, we have a listener who said that, uh, we do have to cover Obi-Wan now. Yes. Yes. Since we are covering the shows in order, we'll get to that. Uh, we've got a couple of star Wars episodes to go before we get to that, but we will get there. And, and, yes. and Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan is already in my list. Yes. Uh, you can also find the link on our website to our Patreon. So if you wish to donate to our show to help keep us going, there are costs that's, that are involved with keeping the show running. So please do consider donating there with your donation. You do get access to our episodes early, plus you do get exclusive episodes that are only available to our patrons. We do links and everything to on our website concerning the episode, but the episode themselves is only on our patron page. Please and thank you. Please and thank you. And the last thing is to remind everybody to please leave a five-star rating where you can. iTunes, Spotify, Google, Google Podcasts. We do appreciate that. It helps get our content out there. Helps other people find our content that may be looking for something new to listen to. So please consider to take a minute and leave that review for us. Please. Please Uh, and thank you again. Please and thank you. Yeah, sorry. I stumbled through that. That's all right. So with that, I have been Zig with your nerdery. And I'm Jeffrey with your murdery. Kill the music. Music.